Yivamos Perk Dalad Mishnah Gimel four three, and now the Mishnah turns attention to the financial considerations of Yibum, if you will, meaning as opposed to up to now where we discussed what we might call like the Yoradea, the who can marry whom questions of Yivamos. Now we will um, talk about the financial considerations regarding the Yavam and Yivama, and how to deal with, you know, various financial concerns that arise. To understand this Mishnah, there's actually a bunch of background required because this Mishnah, in truth, belongs to Masechus Ksubos. It's reprinted over there, um, chapter 8, Mishnah 6 of Ksubos, um, and therefore a little out of context, which means we have a bit of a learning curve to catch up on. The basic rights that a normal husband has with respect to his wife are two. Number one, while they're married, he has the right to benefit from the payros, the produce, the dividends, um, the rental income, and so on, of assets which he brought into the marriage. And second of all, when she dies, if she should predecease him, then he will have sole rights to inherit whatever assets she has. Now, that's for a normal marriage. When a person performs yibum, so then the yavam becomes... Uh, and the Yavama become married in the total normal, in every sense, the normal husband and wife, and therefore one who performs Yibum um, would have those two financial rights as well, their right to Peros while they're married, and to be the sole inheritor if she predeceases him. Now, when it comes to regular marriage, the event which affects those rights is Nisuin. We've mentioned many times that there are two stages in the marriage process, according to Allah, the first called Erisin, or Kedushin, the same thing. The second called Nisuin, or Chuppah, the same thing. So um, exactly what effects uh, Nisuin is a Machlokas Rishonim, but the, I will describe it simply as that the husband and wife live together as husband and wife. Exactly what that means is a Machlokas Rishonim. But be that as it may, um, once Nisuin occurs and they move in together, so then the husband now has these financial rights. Prior to that, in the stage of Erison, Kedushin, again the same thing, he does not yet have those rights. So if he first gives the ring and then she accepts it, but then she dies, he inherits nothing from her, and so on. The question our Mishnah wants to answer is, what happens if after the husband dies with no children, so she's now the Yavama, she's what's called the Mishnah here, says the Shomeris Yibum. She's the one who's waiting to have um, Shomeris Yavam. She's waiting for her to have Yibum done to her. Um, if she also dies. So now what happens to her property? Who is her heir? When you think of a marriage, there's always his side of the family and her side of the family. So the question is, um, do we look at it as since she died his side of the family inherits her assets? Or do we say, no, since her husband died first, she's sort of on her own, and her side of the family inherits her stuff? Now, um, the reason why there's any thought at all why his side of the family should inherit her is because the way that Yivam looks at the world is that when the husband dies with no children... The marriage, so to speak, persists. It's as if it's still going on, and the husband is on some level, the dead husband is still on some level, like 
in the abstract um, alive, and the Yavam, his brother, sort of steps into his shoes. Continuing on his name, he sort of lives through, and the marriage continues on um, where it was left off. Um, again, we've mentioned this elsewhere. That's why, for example, there's said no preliminary like condition required. The Yavam just sort of steps into the shoes of his late brother, and the marriage continues on. So that being the case, since since he's like we'll call it sort of alive, or the marriage is still alive on some level, waiting with this Zika to be resolved with the with the Yavam. So therefore, he's sort of like a quasi-husband, and therefore he is potentially an heir to her. Remember we said before that the husband has the rights to, to be the sole inheritor of, of, the, of the wife. So the question is, what happens, Armish again, is if what happens if she dies prior to Yibam or Chalitza happening? So now does his family or her family inherit her assets? Now, in a normal marriage... Um, in a conventional marriage, though, when the husband and wife get together, there's really three different elements of her financial estate or her personal balance sheet to consider. Um, so the first is what's guaranteed in her ksuba, and that is that's a new thing. She walk, even if she walked into the marriage penniless, every Jewish woman gets a ksuba, and the ksuba is a guarantee that in the event of her divorce or her husband's death, so then she has some financial protection. The ksuba is the standard amount, what's called the Iker ksuba, so the, the, the primary statutory ksuba, which always consists of 200 zuz for conventional first-time marriage, a basula, a virgin, and 100 zuz, also known as a mana, same thing. Um, 200 zuz is the same as 200 dinarim. A mana is 100 dinarim, or it's 100. Um, for a woman who is not a basula, she's a baula, she's been married before, or something like that. Um, so then she has a statutory requirement of, of entitlement to just 100 zuz. So that's called the Iker Ksubasa, the primary Ksuba. Um, that's the first category, and I'll call it, that's 1A. 1B is there could be a Tosefes, a supplemental um, commitment, financial commitment, um, that the husband could make at his own prerogative, that he says, in the event of my death or divorce with you, you'll get not just your Iker Ksuba of the 200 zuz, you'll get an extra whatever it is you know, 800 zoos to make it a clean thousand. Okay? Um, the Mishnahis are always kind of hard to get your head around, and as much as in the 21st century there's such a thing as inflation. So we always wonder, like, what's it worth? Um, inflation is a relatively new phenomenon, and in the time of the, the Mishnah, uh, certainly, um, inflation was either non-existent or very tame and, and like, sort of negligible. Um, they used they didn't use fiat money, paper money. They didn't... They didn't uh, have income taxes and so on. It was a different, a different Federal Reserve system and so on. It was a different world. And that being the case, inflation wasn't really a thing. And that being the case, the the notion of 200 zoos you can think of as being um, the, the amount of money it takes to live for a year, to cover a year's living expenses, like we described back in Masechus Peya. The person considered an uneaf has less than 200 zoos in the bank. And that being the case, if the once-a-year event happens of pay a shecha leka and so on, he's entitled to collect because otherwise we don't know how he'll make it through the year because it's a one-off event in the harvest. So that's the Iker Ksuba and the Tosefas. That's category one. Category two is known as Nichse Tzon Barzel. I won't translate that, um, but this, yet anyways, but this Tzon Barzel property um, is property she's bringing into the marriage that at the time of the marriage they appraise its value and 
let's say she has an apartment building she got from her grandfather. Okay, so when they get married, she says, I'm bringing an apartment building into the marriage. Now, everyone is going to, at all events, as I said already, um, he has rights to the payrolls, meaning like the rent that the apartment building would generate while they're married. Um, but in the case of Tzon Barzel property, they write into the Ksuba the appraised value of this asset, here we'll call it the apartment building. They even add a, a, an extra shlish. So they let's say they say the apartment building plus this extra shlish is a, thousand, is a million shekels. So then he promises that the, she brought in the apartment building. Now it's his to do with as he sees fit, but in the event of his death or divorce with her, he has to pay her that fixed amount, that million shekels. Okay? Tzon Barzel, um, Tzon means like a flock of sheep. Barzel means iron. The idea being that in the good old days, women might bring in like a flock of sheep. Um, but uh, it's like Barzel, it's like written in stone, we'd say in English, or now you know, written in iron. It's been firmed up the value that she'll walk away with regardless of whether um, the asset she brings in depreciates or appreciates. So that means she brought in the apartment building. He writes in the Ksuba, you brought in the apartment building. If we get divorced, you'll get a million shekels. And then um, if he runs the apartment building to the ground, so then she still gets a million shekels. doesn't matter if it's ruined. If he improves it and now it's worth, you know, a multiple of that, it doesn't matter. She still gets just her pre-agreed fixed amount, the million shekels. That's called Nechse Tzon Barzel. Um, then there's the third category, which is um, referred to as Nechse Malug. In our Mishnah, it's also referred to as the Nechasim, the property that's that comes in and goes out with her. This is an asset which she doesn't want to commit ahead of time that, that um, she'll get some sort of financial payout, a fixed amount. Rather, she wants the asset back. So let's say she had an orchard. She inherited whatever she got from her father. She brings the orchard into the marriage while they're married so he, the husband, can, you know, harvest the orchard every year and sell the fruit and take the money and do with whatever he wants. That's They're married. Um, he can spend that on himself if he wants to, etc. But if they get divorced... Or he dies, so then she gets the orchard back. That's called nichse malug, or as the Mishnah here calls it, nechasim, property that's nichnasim, that goes in with her, v'yotzim, and goes out with her. The idea here being that, um, you know, if the value of the orchard goes up, she wins. If it goes down, she loses, but she's taking that. That's her prerogative that she shows to do. And malug means like plucking, like you pluck feathers out of a chicken. The idea being that while they're married, he, the husband, can sort of pluck value out of the the corpus of the asset, you know, the the building, whatever it is, the orchard. Um, and you can even chop down the trees if he wants to, etc. But um, when they get divorced, she gets whatever is left of the asset, whether it's appreciated or otherwise. So that's the third category, nechse maluk. We have to consider all three in our Mishnah. Okay, so our Mishnah wants to know, if the woman who's the Shomeris Yavam, she is um, waiting to have Yibam done or Chalitza done, um, if she now dies prior to that being resolved, still a Zika to her brother-in-law, who is her? Who are her inheritors? Is it his family or her family? Um, in the Mishnah, we'll refer to his family as being the, um, we'll refer to the Baal, the Baal being the husband. So when we say the Baal, we mean Yorshe HaBaal, the inheritors of her late husband, meaning his family. And when we refer to her family, we'll refer to it as Ha'av, the father, Yorshe HaAv, meaning the heirs of her father. That's her family. Okay? I'm um, just in terms of inheritance, normally the rule is when a if a if a man dies, so the normal thing is that his um the orders his sons, his his children inherit first, 
if there are no sons, no children, no daughters either, so then it would be his father who inherits um, his assets, and in the event that the father's not alive, then his brothers that he shares a common father with would be the heirs. When it comes to women, so first and foremost, like I said before, if she predeceases, predeceases him, then he will be the sole heir, the husband, the widower. Um, uh, if there's no widower to worry about, no husband to worry about for whatever reason, so then it's her children, um, or failing their, if there are no children, her father, um, and no father would be her, her siblings like her brothers. Now, our Mishnah could definitely have a case of Yorshia of her side of the family, including children, because while for sure the dead husband doesn't have children, that's why that's a, a Yubim situation, um, but she could have had a previous marriage and have children from that previous marriage. So there could be that there are heirs who are her children who are essentially fighting with now her brother-in-law about who should inherit her property. And how to resolve it is the topic of our mission over here. So the mission starts out by saying, Shomeris Yavam, if you have a woman who's waiting for Yubim to be done to her, and the word Shomer, which I think nine times out of ten means to guard, um, also can mean to await, to anticipate, to look forward to. Um, I think the most famous example of that is um, when Yaakov waits to see what happens to Yosef's dreams. It says, V'aviv Shamar Esadavar. Yaakov was waiting to see and anticipating what would see, but that's the word shamar. He, he waited, and that's what it means here too. So she's waiting to have Yubim done to her. Shenaflula nechasim. If assets come to her, literally means assets fall to her, and the context would be that she inherits something. So let's say the, the case, actually, this first line of our Mishnah is where first her husband died, and now she's waiting for Yubim to happen. And now she gets new assets, right? Let's say after that her, her grandfather dies and bequeaths to her. Uh, Picasso. So, if she gets that Picasso from her grandfather, but the truth is the halach will be the same if she found a winning lottery ticket in the street. It'd be the same if someone, you know, her her aunt sent her, you know, diamond earrings as a gift. All the above doesn't matter. She's getting new assets that, that come into her possession after the death of her husband. So then, Modim, everyone agrees, both Beishami and Beishelel, they both agree, Shemocheres v'nosenes v'kayam, that she can she can uh, be mocheres, she can sell the Picasso to whoever she wants to, or she can nosena, she can give it to whomever she wants to, she gives it to the Met. The Kayam and her gift or her sale stands. That's not a problem, she's allowed to gift it because it's hers in every sense. Again, remember, we're, we're building up, we're saying that the marriage that she had with her late husband, who knows the, who had no children, that marriage is still persisting on some level through the Zika that she has that's connecting her to her, her brother-in-law. Um, and therefore, he might have some financial claims on those assets, but that's only things that came through the marriage. If she now inherits or finds or receives other assets after her husband died, so then her brother-in-law has, has no claim no claim on those. And that being the case, um, the hers do with as she sees fit. She can sell it, give it away, and so on. And the Yavam, the brother-in-law, can say nothing and do nothing to stop it. He has no objection, no right to object to that because the Picasso she got while she's waiting for Yubim, has nothing at all to do with him. It's not part of the previous marriage at all. Now, the reason why the mission here says Beisham and Beisil agree, um, which sort of implies they disagree about something else, is because, as I said before, this Mishnah actually comes from Mesechus Ksubos, and over there, in the 8th parak Mishnah Vav, you'll find this Mishnah. Immediately prior to that, the Mishnah talks about the question of a woman who's in Arusa. She's, I'll call it engaged, for lack of a better term, but not yet married, and therefore, but in the Suin if you will, I'm borrowing English terms here. And since there's no Nesuin happened yet, the husband-to-be has no financial rights yet, there's a question, is, is she allowed to, in that 
I'll call it engagement period, in the interim period, is she allowed to sell or give away her assets? And that's the Machlokas Basil and Beishamai. Beishamai says, yes, she can do what she wants. It's, they're not married yet. And Basil says, no, the rabbis didn't want to, like when they got married or got engaged through Arison. So um, the husband was anticipating that he was also going to get, you know, whatever it was that, that, that she had. And uh, the Rabbanim put restrictions on on uh, her disposing of her assets prior to getting married, at least the Chachila. Even Basil will agree with the Yevit if she went and sold it, the sale is binding, but the Chachila, she, she, she may not, she all not, she should not do that. Okay, but as the point, that's a Machlokas, but in our mission, no one's disagreeing. Everyone agrees that if she's a Shomeris Yavam, she's waiting for even to happen. That woman um, may dispose of any new property that comes to her after her husband's divorce, uh, death, uh, and no one, the meaning the, the brother-in-law, the Yavam, um, has no say in that at all. Now, now the Mishnah gets to its main point, as I said before. Mayasu, what do we do? Biksubasa, with her assets. Category 1, Ksubasa, so that's both 1A, meaning the Iker Ksuba, the 200 Zuz, let's say, as well as 1B, the Tosefus Ksuba, if there is any, um, as well as, um, when we say Ksuba, so we also are going to include here that second category of Nichseitzon Barzal, the, the pre-appraised and fixed value, which is written to the Ksuba. As well as, says the Mishnah, And what goes to the category three, the Nechsem Alug, that she brings into the marriage, but is supposed to be able to take it out when she gets divorced. Um, so, Beishamai, he speaks first, and what he's speaking now, take a pencil and make a note to yourself, is only about Nechsem Alug, the Nechasem HaNechnasem V'yotzem Ima. With respect to that, Beishamai disagrees with Beishel. And Beishamai Omrim, Yachaloku Yorshe HaBal Im Yorshe Av. The two families, Yorshe Habal, his family, split it in Yorshe Av with her family, um, regarding again the Nechsimalug. The reason why is because um, it's like almost she's like in a situation of Suffolk. She's sort of questionably married because of this uh, persisting marriage through Zika to the new Yavam. And since it can get resolved before she dies, so each one has like a claim, if you will, and therefore they resolve it by splitting the Nechsimalug, half going to his family, Yorshea Bal, and half going to her family, Yorshea Av. Again, when we say Ha'av here, the father referring to her father, not his father. And the reason why it says Yorshea Av and not, no, no, Yorshea Baila is because the very point of our mission here is to answer the question, who are the Yorshea Baila? Who are her and who are her heirs? They refer to her father. Okay, so that Beishama disagrees with Beishil, but he agrees with Beishil's treatment of categories one and two, the financial part of the Ksuba, as well as the Nechsei Tzom Barzal. So what does Basil say about that? Basil Omrim, Nechasim Bechezkasan. The Nechasim, the property, and here, again, take your pencil out, it's Basil referring to the Nechsei Tzom Barzal. The Nechsei Tzom Barzal are the pre-appraised and fixed price, if you will, um, assets. So they stay Bechezkasan, they stay status quo, they stay where they already were. Bechezkasan, stay status quo. Now, there's a machlokas amorayim. What does that mean? Who, who, where is Chazkasam? Is it his family or her family? Because we're talking about, remember, she brought this apartment building in that she inherited from her grandfather. Um, she's supposed to get the money back for it when she, when her husband dies. Her husband did die. She didn't collect the ksuv yet because the zika is unresolved. Um, so like this sort of this now apartment building sort of waiting to be resolved. And Basil says it should go to Chazkasam, should go stay status quo. But what is status quo? The husband's dead. She's half married, half divorced, whatever it is. She's got a Zika going. So that's a Machlokas Amorayim. 
um, is chazkas on his family or her family. And that being the case, lahalacha actually going to split this as well. I shouldn't say as well. Beis Hill is going to say this is going to be split. Okay, the the nechze tzon barzel. As for ksuba, as for you know category one, the financial commitment of ksuba. That's both ikar ksuba and the tosefus ksuba. Bechazkas yorshe habaal, they stay in his family, and the rationale is because, meaning that the brothers, her brother-in-law will inherit it, etc. That family will inherit it, and the reason why is because it's pretty straightforward logic that if she herself wasn't able to collect on her ksuba after her husband died because of this persistent zika, so certainly her father or brothers, whatever, shouldn't have strong or power to collect on it. So that's never going to get collected. It stays with the yorshe habaal with his family. Nechasim hanichnasim biyotzim. As for the property that goes in and out with her, meaning the orchard in my case, this nichse malug, so that ima bechezkas, I'm sorry, ima, that's bechezkas yorsheav, that goes back to her side of the family. So it's supposed to go out, so that was the commitment, we'll go out to her, so then the orchard goes back out to her family. And that will be um, how Beis Hill learns, and that was what Beis Shammah disagreed with and said they split it 50-50. Beis Hill is saying no, it goes to her side of the family. So, Beis Hillel, then, as our Mishnah reads in front of us here, and I'm going to summarize and end with that, is saying that when it comes to Category 1, the Ikr Ksuba and the Tosev Ksuba, so Beis Hillel say that stays in his side of the family. Category 2, what is referred to as just Nechasim, but it means the Nechse Tzon Barzel, so that Bechez Kasan, Stay status quo and what does that mean? His family or her family, therefore we split it. And the third category of Nechse Tzon Barza, excuse me, Nechse Malug, or as the Mishnah calls it here, the Nechasim that are Nechnasim Bayotzin that come in and go out with her, the orchard, my example. So that says Beis Hill, it stays in her family. And Beis Shammah disagreed and said no, the two families split that Nechse Malug 50 50.